0: Hi guys, I'm Courtney, and I'm Lisa, and welcome to the next chapter in the Book of the Dead. Hi guys, happy Halloween!
1: Happy Halloween.
0: And welcome back to part two of the vampire cult murders. Um, Yesterday, we left you off with Sandra Gibson being arrested for being disgusting. And Rod and his vampire cult have made some plans. And we're going to talk about those plans. And we're going to talk about the murders in Eustace. And what exactly happened to Heather Wendorf. So let's just hop right into it. As I said yesterday, everything came to a head that November of 1996. Rod and his group of followers wanted to get out of Murray, Kentucky. So they came up with a plan to run away to New Orleans, Louisiana. Now, the plan was made to pick up Heather Wendorf and Janine LeClaire first first in Eustis, Florida. And then the whole group would road trip to New Orleans because... Of course, vampires would obviously live there, according to this group, which I feel like is some weird stereotype. I'm not sure how it's a stereotype, but I feel I just feel like it's a stereotype that vampires would live somewhere like New Orleans. Like,
1: am I crazy or does that just seem like? No, I, I guess I understand what you're saying. So I I understand the whole vampire cults. And there's like the the well, heck, you you, you watch. um the Princess and the Frog, and it's all about the voodoo, the voodoo king, or? Dr. Vassilié practices voodoo. I want to say, not that it has a reputation for the voodoo, but I will say in the past, you know, you have the witch doctors, and the voodoo, and it, for some reason it was associated with New Orleans
0: yeah that's true and i guess like i can see how vampire vampires would be associated with new orleans i mean you look at the very gothic architecture and i mean it's famous for it's old old churches and cemeteries and things of that nature um but i mean voodoo in and of itself is a religion from my understanding I, i don't know anything about voodoo um please tell me if i'm wrong anyone out there that knows anything about it or maybe lives in new orleans um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I do believe it is considered, like, a a religion or at least a closed practice. Um, but either way, I like I said, I felt What's... like it was, like, a weird stereotype to say that vampires are from New Orleans. Just, well, like, it a... would be a stereotype to say that anyone that practices voodoo would be from New Orleans. Because that's not or the case. Or the, you know, the witches in Salem. Or the, exactly. Or, you know, witches being from Salem. And the stereotype that they've got, like, the hooked noses, which... Fun fact, for those of you who don't know, a little Halloween fun fact before we get into this or really into this. The original, quote, caricature of witches is um, anti-Semitic, and it was used to make fun of Jewish people. Also, minor fun fact, I am half Ashkenazi Jew. So, without further ado, let's get back into this. (laughs) Now, on November 24th, 1996, Rod Farrell, Howard Anderson... Dana Cooper, and Charity Kesey traveled from Murray, Kentucky to Eustis, Florida in Howard Anderson's parents' Buick, arriving on the 25th. Now, oh, you put your hand out. Um, Now, this was about a 750-mile drive in a car that was not brand new. In fact, I believe, at least in one report, I heard it stated that that's, this car was about 10 years old. So by the time they got to Eustis, the Buick was really kind of out of commission. Like, they needed a car that was going to get them the,
1: rest of the, the
0: rest of the way to Louisiana from Florida. So they had that problem where they needed a car. Now, Rod meets up with Heather in the Eustace Cemetery. And according to the BeargrassThunder.com post that I mentioned in yesterday's episode, Heather Wendorf told Rod that if he turned her into a vampire, she would let them take her parents' car, the Ford Explorer, to Louisiana. Now, Rod says yes, obviously. They need a car. They had to figure out how to get one. This was the perfect solution. So they perform this vampire ritual, and Heather drinks Rod's blood so she can be a vampire. Now, Okay, I don't, I know I didn't say this yet. I didn't say it in yesterday's episode. Now, if anyone out there believes that they are a vampire, lives as a vampire, fine. You do you, no judgment, no hate, that's fine. It doesn't affect me in any way, go ahead. However, if you decide that you want to be the kind of vampire that drinks blood, maybe try blood from like a butcher shop Maybe boil the blood or something to make sure it's okay to consume. But, like, try animal blood. Um, But if you insist upon drinking human blood, first of all, you better be getting consent. And second of all, both you and the other person, please just get tested for any possible diseases that can be transmitted through blood or saliva. Like, be smart about it. Again, no judgment. Just if you're going to do something like this, get consent and both of you get tested. I just I feel like I need to put that out there because none of these kids were doing that. Well, they they had consent, but like none of these kids were like going through any sort of testing or going to the doctor. And like, I mean, that's how you like you can kill someone. Bloodborne diseases are a thing. Like maybe like, you know, be smart. That's all I'm saying. Now, after this ritual, you know, where we're. Heather is turned into a vampire. Allegedly, Rod takes a ridiculous amount of LSD. And he's going to go leave to get the car. Now, Heather allegedly told him where he could find the car keys. And she also allegedly said, quote, I don't want you messing with my parents. Just leave them alone. So all of the girls, Dana, Charity, Heather, they wait in the Buick a couple of miles from the home while Scott or Howard Anderson and Rod Farrell go to the Wendorf home to steal the car. Now they get in through the unlocked garage and Rod picks up a crowbar. He finds saying that he was taking it only as a precaution in case her parents were home, which um, they were. Now, according to Howard Anderson, he claims that what happens next happened pretty much without warning. So the two teenagers go into the house and they find Richard Wendorf sleeping on the couch. Rod allegedly, without warning, takes the crowbar and brings it down on Richard's skull. And he kept doing it until Richard Wendorf stopped moving. Now, according to Howard Anderson, he was stunned. Like, just completely, like, just didn't know how to react. He was, like, just, he just stood there. Which, I mean, I don't know how anyone would react in that situation. I don't know how I would react. I would like to think that I would react um by saying what the fuck are you doing like stop like you animal like I'm calling the police kind of thing but I don't know I've never been in that situation I hope to god I never am so I I can't I can't say that Howard standing by you know was the you know I I can't really speak on that or allegedly, Rod had frequently claimed he had a desire to kill and everyone in the group just kind of assumed he was full of shit. As if, you know, him literally killing animals was um, just a thing that never happened. I, I don't know. If someone's claiming that they have a desire to kill and they're killing animals, that's a red flag. That's literally, like, that's literally a red flag. That is a documented psychological red flag. But anyway, I don't think... Richard Wendorf ever made a sound while he was being killed because while Anderson was ordered to find the car keys by Rod and Rod was running around looking for valuables to steal, Ruth came out of the kitchen with her coffee, like fresh out of the shower. I believe she had showered in another part of the house and went right into the kitchen. Like she never went into the living room and saw what was going on. Now, of course... She is met with this horrific scene, like her husband's dead on the couch, there are two teenagers standing in her living room covered in blood. According to an Oxygen article, when Ruth saw Rod coming toward her, she threw her scalding hot coffee at him, like just launched it at him, which... Bless that woman. I mean, she really, that was her first reaction. Like, let me throw the scalding hot coffee at you. Like, oh my God. I can't even put into words, like, that was her first reaction. And I just, I wish she survived. Uh, She also apparently, like, Because like we said in yesterday's episode, there was DNA under her fingernails. She scratched him across the face like she took and like, I don't know if she smacked him or what, but she scratched him across the face. Now, apparently this, according to Rod, this is the reason he killed her was because he was so enraged that she threw the coffee at him and things like that. And he wasn't going to hurt her. I fully believe he's full of shit in that regard. I think he was going to kill her regardless. You think? So apparently in his anger, Rod beat her so badly with the crowbar,
1: he severed her brainstem. This is the stuff of nightmares. This is a an evil, evil person. And I use the term person very loosely because nobody does this. No,
0: I I I don't I don't know psychologically if it was like maybe the trauma from his childhood because I'm not I'm not going to sit here and say that like his childhood probably had nothing to do with like his behavior problems and things like that because I'm sure it's it did if he was truly truly harmed by his grandfather and obviously he grew up with a mother who was not a good mom um like there's a lot of trauma there so I understand like the behavioral issues but I can't imagine like there had to have been something else psychologically turned off in his brain where he would do things like this you know what I mean like because this is just such an extreme like there there I I don't even know if this is just like he has so much anger inside him or if he's just truly evil but his actions are so evil
1: yes yes those actions are evil maybe if he had gotten help as a young boy gotten out of that situation maybe if child protective services had stepped in you know maybe heard something and stepped in and investigated and saw what was going on and they removed him from the home and got him help that he desperately needed, that would have been wonderful. But the, as you say, the actions that he took are, are just truly evil. I, how do you do this to somebody else? I mean, just, just knowing what you had gone through, and I understand that he's a young child, or a young man, but knowing what you went through, why would you want to hurt? I don't understand the whole, I need to hurt somebody else. That's that's where I don't understand. And maybe a psychologist or a psychiatrist could explain this. You know, maybe there's such a rage built up that he needs an outlet. Go hit a punching bag, you know, uh, go to the gym, hit a punching bag. You know, go, go, uh, I don't know, take a hammer to a wall or something, something. Go axe throwing. It
0: is so cathartic. Go axe throwing. They have, well, back in the day they didn't, but now they have rage rooms where you literally pay to destroy things. And it is so popular because it helps people get like their anger and their rage out in like a safe environment. Like you are in a room by yourself you're wearing protective gear and you just you can take a bat and destroy there's like china in there that you literally destroy like go go do that go to the thrift store buy some you know cheap china pa- uh plates and go into an alley where no one's around or something and just throw them at the wall you know it's cathartic to break things do that that that's a good way. That's a healthy way of getting your rage out. Um, Don't beat an innocent couple to death. Like... Uh, an innocent animal. Innocent like animals. Just, like, just, just if, if, if... Go chop wood. Yeah, go in the woods. Go chop a tree. Uh, go, go do that. That, again, cathartic. Go find things that bring you catharsis. You don't even have to talk to a therapist. Just go find something that brings you catharsis. Again, allegedly howard anderson just stood by and watched while this happened now i
1: was probably in shock again i exactly i think
0: i i fully believe because again like like we talked about yesterday Stephen murphy said that rod was really charming really charismatic you know he drew howard in and i think that you know, this was another side of Rod that Howard probably never really saw. Um, like he was allegedly maybe there at the animal shelter thing. But I, I, I I almost want to say that I feel like he might have disassociated from that situation in the sense that like, you know, it, it was like, um, okay, this isn't this isn't that bad because they're animals which is a warped way of thinking but again he he grew up in an abusive household himself howard did and you know maybe it's you know okay this isn't a person he's harming the these are animals like it's different kind of thing like again i'm i'm maybe i'm rationalizing his behavior i don't know but i i believe just based on what Stephen had said about Rod being so charismatic. I I really think that this was a side of Rod that Howard never really saw and it truly shocked him. So I think if he did stand by and just like let it happen, I think that could possibly be why. But again, maybe I'm just really rationalizing his behavior. Like I, I I'm not a psychiatrist. I don't know.
1: Well, no, neither. I mean, neither my. But, but that's the only thing I could think of where you would, where you could possibly stand by. And watch or be in the same room as some horrific thing happening is you almost, you go into shock. Yeah, I mean, I'm, believe me, if he, he's just as guilty. Oh, 100%.
0: Because, I mean, you, you can't stand by and allow something like that to happen and not attempt to stop it and not be considered guilty. Like, we're, we're going to go into, you know, everything that happened in the aftermath, but... I, You know, he's complicit in that regard, but I don't believe, you know, he he thought that would ever happen kind of thing. Like, I, I think he thought we're going to go break into this house and steal a car, which I mean, he was like 17 at the time, or you know, in the grand scheme of things, stealing a car is a hell of a lot less damaging than murder. Now, according to an article for The Independent, Sheriff Stan Scott arrived at the scene after Jennifer arrived home and found the bodies like we talked about yesterday. And again, like I said yesterday, the investigation began immediately. Meanwhile, the group were on their way to Louisiana after Anderson and Farrell switched license plates on the Buick and the Explorer and abandoned the Buick in a parking lot. Now, Charity was the one to initially notice the blood on the boys' clothes, but... When she mentioned it, Rod told her essentially to shut up and not ask about it. Needless to say, things were really tense in the car. Everyone was wound up. You know, they haven't been, you know, the the whole group besides Heather hadn't slept in, you know, a full day. And when Rod finally admitted to what happened in Eustace, they were all terrified that Rod would turn on them, I'm sure. And... You know, what if one of them would were next? you know, so i I don't think any of them went into this expecting such violence,
1: you know what I mean? I do, but you I, you're not there, so you don't know what he said to them as far as what he was planning i I don't think I don't believe that he would just go into this home carrying you know a crowbar. And not expect to use it at some point. No, I agree. I fully
0: believe Rod went into the Wendorf home to commit murder. Especially because when we look at what we talked about yesterday. Where he felt that Heather needed to be saved from her parents and things like that. So I think he went into this to commit murder or hurt them in some way. But I don't know if the whole group was privy to that. And we're going to talk about that. Sheriff Scott was continuing his investigation. You know, he learned about Rod Farrell and his vampire cult from Jeanine LeClaire. And Scott called up police in Murray where he learns about the investigation into Rod for the animal shelter killings. And he also learned about how multiple teens were reported missing, as well as the Andersons Buick, which had been found in Eustis. Now, as far as they knew at the time, this was just a random Buick. It was abandoned. But when Sheriff Scott heard this, you know, they ran the plates and found that the plates belonged to the Ford Explorer. Obviously, these teenagers have a pretty big head start and they have to figure out, you know, how they're going to catch up to these kids. So finally, during this road trip, the teenagers get to Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And Charity convinces Rod that she needs to call her mother so they can get some money. Because at this point, they really haven't slept, like I said. And they're, they've are they pretty much run out of food. Like, they're three days on the road at this point. Pretty much no food. I'm sure tensions are even higher because they're all hungry and tired. And I, I do want to put as a side note, I could be mis misremembering because i couldn't find this in my research but i believe when crime junkies covered this story they said that charity had discovered them or learned about the murders and asked rod about it when she read about it at a convenience store that they stopped at to pick up food and she showed heather the news article going like look your parents are dead kind of thing um or these people have the same last name as you like Are you related to them? And that's how Heather found out. Now, again, I could be misremembering because I couldn't find that in my research, but it's like sticking in my brain that that happened. So if it did, I'm curious as to how much Charity really knew because she didn't seem or I'm curious as to whether Charity kind of knew that something could potentially happen to the parents because it just, it seemed weird that she didn't seem, from what I remember, she didn't seem particularly freaked out. She just kind of asked Rod, like, what happened? And he was like, I killed them. And she was like, oh, your parents are dead, Heather, kind of thing. Again, I could be misremembering, mis- and I'll have to go back and listen to the episode, but that's what I remember. That Charity was kind of like,
1: hey, Heather, your parents are dead. And what was Heather's response to this? I see I don't
0: remember. But I, I wanted to put it out there and mention it because it's stuck in my brain, I didn't find it in my research and I didn't want to skip past it. And people go, no, she she found out like Rod told them, he, like admitted he did it to the group. But they found out because Charity saw it in a newspaper headline. So uh, I just wanted to put that out there. But I could be misremembering. Now, Charity calls her mom. Now, and I've seen some sources saying her grandmother picked up the phone and that her mom wasn't home. And I've seen some sources say that her mom was home. Either way, everyone at this point knows that the police are looking for these kids, both in Kentucky and in Florida. Probably, you know, half the country knows that these kids are being looked for at this point. So Charity is told by her mother, you know, I will um, have to call you back. You know, let me let me call you back. So... Charity's mom calls the police and she tells them that she's heard from Charity and that Charity's asking for money. Which, go Mrs. Kesey. She didn't go, okay, I'll send you money, like, you know, I'll help you out. She went, hey, 911, I know where my daughter is. She's in Baton Rouge and she's asking for money. She's with this Rod Farrell guy. So the police go, okay, great. Tell her you're going to send her money and have her go somewhere for the night. Like say you're going to get her a hotel room or something. So Charity's mom calls Charity back at the pay phone that Charity calls her from and says, you know, you're going to go to this hotel, okay? I'm going to call. I'm going to reserve a room for you guys. I'll pay for it over the phone, like anything you need. And I'm going to wire you guys money in the morning, but go to the hotel for the night, okay? So they do. They go to the hotel. Rod pulls into the hotel and, boom, whole bunch of squad cars waiting for them. And they are all promptly arrested four days after the murder of Mr. and Mrs. Wendorf. That's awesome. It just goes to show that teenagers are stupid because they really fell for that.
1: Well, uh, yeah, you know, mom says, I'm going to go get your hotel room, go there, get some rest, and I'll Mm -hmm. send you money in the morning. You know, I've paid for the hotel okay great maybe you know maybe they're thinking hey mom hasn't heard this mom is stupid because you know most and most kids think their
0: parents are dumb like yes i will say it most kids think their parents are dumb
1: okay thank you for that
0: um (laughs) i never thought you were dumb i'm just saying like most (laughs) kids think their parents are like oblivious i should say oblivious
1: Well, yeah, anyone that has children of teenage years or older knows that you go through a certain period of time with your child that the child thinks they know more than the parent does. It's just, it's normal, but that's just what it is. So they probably thought, hey, you know, mom is going to get us a hotel room and we can, you know, crash for the night. And she's going to send us X amount of dollars in the morning and we'll be able to continue on our way. These kids are brought back to Florida.
0: During interviews with police, Rod is really going strong with this vampire story. Now, I don't know if he truly believed it because, again, like we talked about yesterday, I really think that the line was blurred between fantasy and make-believe and reality. But he... He's insisting to the police that he had no intentions of killing Ruth and that he only did when she attacked him. He was also just really, really, like I said, pushing that vampire story, saying that he had been set up by, quote, a rival group of vampires because, you know, they wanted to just, I guess, be the main vampire group cult coven thing in Kentucky and they were they were framing him for this murder like my mans (laughs) your DNA was under Ruth's fingernails you're really gonna try and act like you didn't kill her like that's that's the story you're going with that other vampire group is framing you
1: sure we'll believe that a week from never
0: well I mean he did he (laughs) he 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 did eventually change his tune. But I will say um, he really just kind of took this whole thing like as a joke, like when he was being transported, you know, between the police department and jail, um, he would you know, the photographers obviously were flocking to try and get pictures for different news outlets and things and he would stick his tongue out and roll his eyes up into his head you know, when the photographers would approach. But Rod was eventually charged with two counts of first-degree murder, armed robbery, and and burglary. At his trial on February 5th, 1998, Rod actually ended up pleading guilty to two counts of first-degree murder to try and avoid the death penalty, with his lawyer saying, quote, he accepts responsibility and wants to live. However, Um, That did not work, him pleading guilty. He was sentenced to death via the electric chair, making him the youngest person on Florida's death row, with the circuit judge Jerry Lockett saying, quote, I think you are a disturbed young man. I think your family
1: failed you, and I think society failed you. So he got the death penalty. I can understand why. I I know Florida, from what I understand, Florida is does not put up with a whole heck of a lot.
0: Yeah. Well, we're we're going to talk about that. Now, at Howard Scott Anderson's trial in April of 1998, he pled guilty as well and received two life sentences, which I mean, he seemed to fully accept. Um, I think he fully acknowledged that he should have attempted to prevent what happened. Um, and he seemed to be, at least from what I understand, he seemed to be pretty genuinely remorseful. So he they gave him the two life sentences and he was like, I like, I, I get it. Like, I I didn't do anything to stop this. Like, I understand. So, I mean, I I commend him for that, you know, being you know, it's accepting or taking his sentencing graciously because he understood that he was wrong for not trying to do anything to prevent it.
1: Were these life sentences concurrent or consecutive? So he's getting out of jail a week from never.
0: Uh, we'll talk about that in a second. Now, Charity Kesey and Dana Cooper were both charged and convicted of two counts of third-degree murder, burglary, and robbery. Now, Dana received 17 and a half years, and Charity received 10 and a half years since she was a minor, and a third-degree murder charge is significantly less in terms of sentencing than um, a first-degree murder charge, because, you know, the different— degrees of charge of murder charges carry different sentencing. Now, Heather was an entirely different story. The grand jury decided not to indict her. They th- they believe she didn't believe that her parents were going to be harmed. However, Rod claims that Heather wanted her parents dead and allegedly multiple classmates claimed that they heard Heather say she wanted her parents dead. Now, it, it definitely could have been just a rebellious teenager being a rebellious teenager. Like, you know, I just, like, my, my dad's so fucking annoying. I just wish he would drop dead kind of thing. So I don't know if it was something like that or she was like, God, I really wish my parents would die. Like, I really want them dead kind of thing. So, like, I I don't know. Now, I will say, though, she actually ended up moving in with her attorney's family after the murders. Because she really wasn't adjusting to life with her extended family. Um, I know that she has a you know an okay relationship with her sister. But like she was really struggling with um, getting along with others in her family. Now Heather you know went on to live her life. She went on to art school and today she has a family of her own. And Rod and I will say that some people believe that she fully knew her parents were going to die that night. Like, some people fully believe that. And honestly, like, I don't, I don't know. Some part of me is, like, no, there's no way. Like, she just wanted to, like, run away and, you know, live her best vampire life. And, but another part of me is, like, there's, I, there's no way that she didn't think something bad would happen. Like, I, I just, I don't know.
1: They're just questions.
0: Yeah, and we're never going to know because she's obviously never going to, you know, say That she wanted her parents dead, you know, like, or that she was complicit in this because then she would be going to jail because there's no statute of limitations on murder. Like, so I'm sure we'll never know ever if she really did know if they were going to die or be harmed in any way. Now, in 2007, the Supreme Court abolished the death penalty rulings for juvenile offenders, juvenile offenders. So Rod Farrell's sentence was reduced from death to life in prison.
1: Without the possibility. Without the possibility of parole. Okay.
0: So it was it, he wasn't getting the death penalty because, you know, like we've seen in other cases, you know, where the courts rule that sentencing a juvenile to death is cruel and unusual punishment. So, like, I get it. Sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Now... Howard Scott Anderson's sentence was also reduced in 2018 from life to 40 years with time served, and he will be eligible for parole in 2032. And the reason his was reduced was kind of for the same reason where they felt giving him a life sentence was kind of when he was a juvenile kind of fell under the blanket of cruel and unusual because he himself did not commit murders. He was a bystander so he's still getting a significant term um or a sentence you know 40 years is still a long time um and that's essentially still kind of like two life sentences because life sentences are 25 years right um so i mean i understand and i still think that is a justifiable sentence you know what i mean Yeah, I because he he, because exactly he
1: truly did not do anything. If he truly was in shock, which is the only reason I could think of that you wouldn't like attempt to stop this other person. If that is truly what happened, I was not there. I cannot tell you, but if that is truly what happened, then yes, forty years, in my estimation is a good amount of time. How old was he at the time?
0: 17. So he'll be 57, 57 when he gets out of jail
1: or something like that. Right. No, um, 57, 58, 56, somewhere in there, depending yeah, on when the birthday so, falls. so I mean,
0: he'll, you know, that's... And again, it's, I, like you said, I consider it to be fair if he truly, you know, didn't know this was happening and, you know, was really in shock. But also, I am or at least I like to think I'm inclined to believe that that was the case because he, like I said, allegedly took his two life sentences without the possibility of parole in stride, like very graciously. And I feel like if he was guilty, like that wouldn't have been the case. Like most people don't take most guilty people don't take life sentences
1: very well. You know what I mean? I do. Cause everybody, I say everybody, but there have been a lot of people that claim their innocence when, like, the facts are just too overwhelming and they're still claiming innocence. You know, I didn't do this. I was framed. Uh, the police set me up. This one set me up. That one set me up. The exactly. Easter Bunny set me up. No, I mean, yeah. like, they'll, they'll, you know, they'll grasp at any sort of straw as ridiculous as that is, but they'll grasp at anything.
0: And then flip out when they get, you know, a severe sentence, whereas Howard Anderson allegedly, you know, like I said, just really accepted his double life sentence, you know, and was like, you know, I deserve it because I didn't do anything to prevent it. So that's the only reason I feel like 40 years, you know, it being reduced to 40 years was, you know, justifiable, you know, and still a fair sentence. Now, Dana Cooper... Dana Cooper was released in 2015 after serving her full sentence and Charity Casey was released in 2008 after serving her full sentence. So they served their time and they are now out. Now, last year, Rod Farrell had a hearing to have his sentence reduced like Howard Anderson. Now, again, like I said, it was reduced because in 2016, the Supreme Court ruled that a mandatory life sentence without the possibility for parole Um, For a juvenile was cruel and unusual punishment. That was why it was reduced. However, after three days of testimonies where Farrell's lawyer explained how he's been a model prisoner, he's had so much remorse for his crimes, Circuit Judge G. Richard Singletary ruled that Rod's sentence would not be reduced and the original life sentence without the possibility of parole would stand. Now, Judge Singletary said, quote, Despite the recent changes in the law, life is still an appropriate sentence for a juvenile who committed murder if the facts and circumstances justify it. Singletary wrote this in his order. Now, he also said, quote, In this case... The facts of the double homicide of Richard Wendorf and Naoma Ruth Queen, as well as the armed burglary and armed robbery, are among the most appalling. He has adjusted to incarceration, and he has had a good prison record, the judge wrote, citing testimony from prison officials and mental health experts. Quote, "...however, the continuation of his pattern of fabrication and manipulation of the narratives of his crimes in order to serve his own interest demonstrates that he is neither changed nor rehabilitated. So that judge said, you're full of shit. You're not sorry. I don't care that you you're doing well in prison. You're going to spend the rest of your life there because you are not sorry. You have not changed. You don't deserve to have your sentence reduced.
1: So he saw through the charming persona that, This person is portraying and good for that judge.
0: Bless Judge Singletary. I hope that everyone, I hope he wins the lottery because he deserves it because clearly he knows his shit. He knows that Rod Farrell was full of shit and deserves to rot in jail because he's full of shit.
1: Yeah, getting out a week from never would, you know, suffice.
0: That was the vampire cult murders, guys. Really horrific, really disgusting, the stuff of nightmares. stuff of nightmares. But I hope you found, um, you know, for those of you that are familiar with this case, um, I hope you found um, or learned some new information, especially in regards to the appeals. Because, like I said um, yesterday, there is, you know, most of the podcasts that have covered this case did it before the appeals. So rod's appeal and the results of that repeat uh appeal are you know very very recent this only happened last year so thank you guys i'm sorry that you know i didn't do or we didn't do a separate halloween chapter like i had originally planned but there was just so much i mean just research wise i have eight full pages of research
1: Okay, so next week, you're going to give me something a little or give us something a little less horrifying, a little less um, um, detailed in the horrific details department? I'm
0: thinking next week, we're going to be covering a missing persons case. And it is actually... um, I, I think it's important to cover cases involving people of color and um, of, you know, indigenous people, case, uh, persons cases and things of that nature. So next week we are going to be covering a missing person case involving. Well, I haven't decided which one we're going to do um, first. Um, it will be either a missing persons case involving a um, woman that immigrated here from Mexico, or it will be the missing persons case of an indigenous woman that went missing. So um, one of the two. So next week will be a missing persons case.
1: And maybe some of, maybe some of our listeners or or there's a listener out there that will recognize the case and be able to help to solve the case. Exactly. That would be awesome.
0: Yeah, That. I I can't even tell you what that would do, like, to, like, or for us, like, if, like, you know, someone out there heard, you know, any of the missing persons cases or on self-murder cases and, like, comes forward with information, like, that would just, like, mean the absolute world, Um, just that we were able to potentially be able to, like, help. In that regard. Um, But yeah, we're going to, it might be two missing persons
1: cases in a row. Um, That would be okay. Because um, if if there's a way for someone out there to help mm -hmm. um, to bring a family, not closure, but resolution to their missing loved one, Mm -hmm. that would, I would be able to stop doing this and just go out. Like even on a high that would that would be the best thing in the world,
0: yeah, and like I said, I do think it's important because you know it there's an issue in um, the true crime community where um people of color and um indigenous people are kind of neglected in the true crime community and um, I think it's important to shed light on that so next the next two cases will definitely be involving um, that. But I hope you guys have a wonderful Halloween. I'm going to take my 2-year-old nephew trick-or-treating with my husband and my sister-in-law. He's going to be a pirate. In case any of you were curious. I hope you guys have fun if you're handing out candy. I hope you guys are handing out the king-size candy bars because you should. The kids deserve it. Um if a kid comes to your door and they're a teenager, Just give them some candy. They're not out causing trouble. They just want candy. Give them some candy. If a child comes to you and they are having a hard time making eye contact or having a hard time saying, please, thank you or trick or treat. Just give them the candy. You never know. They might have, you know, a um, disorder or disability. Or they might be shy or they might be cripplingly shy. It happens. Don't give them a hard time about it. Give them the candy they are trying their best. Um because some people are kind of nasty about it. Like they expect a please thank you and a trick or treat. And that not every child is capable of doing that. And the people out there that have issues with that, they need to accept it. Or turn your lights out, put a sign up saying you don't have candy, even if you do. I just it's a pet peeve of mine. I used to work with children. Just make it fun. Exactly. Make it fun. You know, talk to those kids like they're really the characters. You know, every Queen Elsa I see, it's an honor to meet you, Queen Elsa. You know, how's Anna? Say hello to Sven and Olaf for me kind of thing. Um, but anyway, I hope you guys have a really, really fun Halloween for those that celebrate it. And be safe. And get some really really good candy and we will see you guys next week thank you so much for listening to this chapter of the book of the dead as always check the source notes for resources used in this chapter and don't forget that you could follow us on instagram at book of the dead pod or shoot us an email with a case suggestion at book of the pod at gmail
1: we just hope that you have a wonderful rest of your week we will be back next week with another chapter of the Book of the Dead. And
0: always remember to stay curious, stay safe, and stay vigilant. Bye, guys.
1: Bye.